0: So, letting go has gotten it down. It's gonna be what it'll be. There ain't no sense in losing sleep. Daddy, I so hope you're proud.
1: everyone welcome back it is jay scott and it is the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks again for tuning in we always appreciate it don't forget to write us a five-star review when you're done listening we always appreciate the feedback too is when you enjoy the episode uh we are part of the pantheon podcast network a great network of music related podcasts including the official metallica podcast you can catch on pantheonpodcast.com and all their social media links at Pantheon Pods on Threads, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also check out The Hook Rocks on all those platforms at The Hook Rocks. And don't forget to set your app wherever you listen to podcasts to automatic download, so you get the latest episodes right to your phone. We are four and a half years into this journey of podcasting, and we've got about 555 episodes. We just released a great interview with Joe Satriani about his tour with Steve Vai, G3, and the upcoming Sammy Hagar tour said some interesting things about why the Alex Van Halen David Lee Roth tour never came to fruition and why the Sammy Hagar tour came to be. So it's an interesting take from Joe on that. Don't forget Todd Kearns, who's about to kick off his tour with slash with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators and the Gems, the great Swedish band um the formerly three members of of uh, Thunder Mother who left and now started their own band the Gems are the latest New Music Spotlight guest, so please check out that as well. We've got a first-time guest today. Very happy to have this guest, been wanting to have her on for a while. She's got a fantastic new album out, and we're going to get into that. I'd like to welcome the incredible and the shred queen, Miss Sophie Lloyd. How are you doing?
0: Hello! Thank you so much. I love that intro. I'm good, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm doing doing well. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it.
0: No worries. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, we're going to get to know you over the next 40 minutes or so. And, you know, we always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest. Oh, no. And that is really the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you?
0: Mine is really embarrassing. So... uh <laughs> It's not like a cool rock star moment or anything. It was literally when I was a kid. It was an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants where, um, he was doing like, he, like a version of Twisted Sisters, uh, I Wanna Rock. That was like, I'm a goofy goober rock. <laughs> and that is what got me into rock and roll. <laughs> so not very cool, I'm afraid.
1: It is very unique. We've never heard the SpongeBob <laughs> reference here on the Hook Rock. So, your first time for that. But hey, it's got to start somewhere, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. It started when I was younger and uh my dad was also really into rock and roll, so we'd always like have um a lot of like old school like blues playing around the house. He loved like Joe Bonamassa, Rory Gallagher, people like that. So, uh yeah, but that was the start.
1: Now, after the SpongeBob episode, where did it go from there? Like what was your next thing for you to keep the drive into rock and roll going
0: so I got my first guitar which was just like one of those uh ones you get that's like comes with a set it comes with like this little amp and a lead everything you everything you need (laughs) you know to 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 rock out and I got it and I really wasn't very good at it at all and like I started having having a few lessons at school but it was all like kind of Classical stuff, which was kind of boring. So I slipped away from it a little bit, but then I started getting really into uh, rock music again and um, uh, especially Pantera. Like I really wanted to play Cowboys from Hell. Uh, (laughs) So then I started like picking up my guitar and actually um, sort of becoming quite dedicated to uh, learning again.
1: Who were your first influences with guitar?
0: There's a few different ones, like... I'd say, um, Slash was a big one in terms of, uh, his playing and his like career path as well. Like the fact he was the first person I saw that really kind of made a career from being like a guitarist in his own right and would release albums with uh, different vocalists and stuff. Uh, Joe Satriani, who you mentioned you just had on the podcast was, uh, always a, uh, really, really big influence for me as well his album surfing with the alien was like the first kind of instrumental guitar album that I've got and that was the first time I saw a guitarist release an album that was just guitar and and it told a story and it told this whole you know amazing you know thing throughout the album and it didn't have any vocals and I thought that was really really interesting as well and um you know I loved Zach Wilde I loved Darrell, like their techniques and stuff Paul Gilbert as well um were all people I would I would listen to all the time
1: you know, it's amazing about Joe. I just had him on the show, as I mentioned in the beginning. Like, here is a legendary guitar god mm-hmm. telling me that he's learning, he has to practice the Eddie Van Halen stuff for the mm-hmm. Sammy Hangar tour <laughs> because <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah. And I just, you know, when he says that, I'm like, but you're Jill Satriani. <laughs> you you can- like you play
0: you should play everything, right? <laughs> yeah. It's weird, like, because people like specialize, I guess, in their own techniques and you become so comfortable with your playing style that suddenly when you're introduced to someone else's style, even if it might seem like kind of similar, it's, it is a whole new world. It's so, it's a whole different way that you, you know, different pattern of, of fingering or something like that. Like it is so, so different.
1: When you talk about the influences that you just mentioned and you talk about your playing, you know, I always say every time I have a guitar player on here is, you know, when you look at the instrument, just looking at it, it's very limited, you know, by by the, you know, by just yeah. looking at it by the eye, but the guitar player unlocks its limitations. Like it, it goes beyond those limitations. Every guitar player does that. When you approach the guitar and you mentioned those influences, what's your first approach to it? Like, is it phrasing? Is it feel? Is it touch? Is it being technical? How do you like when you pick up a guitar and you start to play and you're trying to figure out songs and melodies? Where do you go first?
0: So I feel like I'm quite um unique in the sense that I um I look at it quite strategically. I have quite like a logical brain. Like I was really into like maths and science at school. I have this very logical brain. So I really look at shapes and patterns and like boxes and things like that. So I like kind of learning the rules of, you know, where exactly I can play and then learning how to break those rules after I've got, you know, sort of more comfortable with them. And I think that has, that's limited me in some senses because I feel like maybe, um, I can like sometimes I'm not very good at like improvisation and stuff like that. And sometimes I can lack a little bit of feel. So that's something I'm really trying to work on this year is to kind of get more into just being like spontaneous and creative with it and sort of break out of my like sort of logical, <laughs> you know, logical boxes of, of what it should sound like and what should sound good. Um, so that's something I'm working on, but I also think that that approach has kind of made my, playing kind of sound like me. It's kind of, I've made my own style because I have looked at it in kind of this more logical way and been creative in that, in that kind of more mathematical way, which is interesting.
1: As far as your phrasing, the way you attack the guitar, the way you attack the note, you mentioned, you know, Joe Satriani, Zach Weil, Paul Gilbert, you know, these amazing guitar players does each do each of those guitar players influence more on certain areas of your playing or is it just by and large a whole, you know, community of, of influence?
0: Um, I'm not sure. I think it's definitely like, you know, techniques wise, I think I've got a lot of different techniques from kind of different guitarists. I can't really pinpoint exactly like kind of what came from where particularly, but I definitely tend to lean, um, quite heavily on legato stuff, which I think sort of came from like Joe Satriani, kind of he does a lot of these beautiful legato licks and um, the kind of more technical like scale shapes um and kind of climbing the scale shapes like in a fast way, I think kind of came from Paul Gilbert stuff. Like I think there's, and maybe like some more uh, interesting um kind of sweeps or arpeggios kind of diminished arpeggios and stuff came from, from Paul Gilbert when I had to learn the gargoyle for my uh, university <laughs> final exam. Uh, so I think it's like, I'll definitely take things from different guitarists. And there's like something I do with uh, my pick where I kind of scrape it along the strings and it goes like <laughs> But it sounds way cooler when you do it with strings. It doesn't sound like a dolphin, like I just did then. Uh, but that was from uh, uh, Zach Wilde. He does work with his pinky ring. Um, which I think is really cool. So like I've kind of taken a lot of different techniques from different guitarists and kind of shoved them all together, but I'm trying to get into like gospel a bit more at the moment and to learn more like kind of interesting chord voicings and stuff and bring that into, into my music. That's, that's what I'm trying to do at the moment.
1: I love the guitar. I love guitar players and I just love seeing the differences. I love hearing the different tones. I love, You know, the guys that are guys and gals that are tone chasers and and all that and technical and feel. And, you know, I can go from listening to, you know, Joe Satriani live to, you know, buddy guy, you know, who's all feel, you know, buddy guy, just the way he attacks and how aggressive he is. And it's such a wide spectrum. You know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation wanting to be more spontaneous, have a little bit more feel in your playing. When you do go the technical aspect or you play towards that technical aspect, how hard is it to kind of keep a uh, an era of air of spontaneity there or an air of feel there to the plane? Because I, I would imagine sometimes when you're technical, you're more concerned about the progression of the notes and how that all lays out and and the and the presentation.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like sort of when it's technical, often you'll find like a lot of it is kind of pre-written. That you kind of know exactly where you should be, when, what box you should be in and exactly where you're going and you have this whole kind of plan in your head. And I think that definitely does make it quite hard to be spontaneous because sometimes if you break out of that plan, suddenly you'll like panic and be like, ah, I'm not where I am for the, (laughs) where I need to be for the next lick or something like that. So that can be um, quite a challenge. But I think is the thing is with uh, being technical, you kind of need to pick your moments. And that's something I've kind of realized as of late where like you can do like this really cool technical run, but then you can follow it with like a really tasteful blues lick that you can be a little bit experimental with. And then, you know, you can go into another technical bit if you want. So it's basically like I think the thing is with technicality is knowing where you knowing your starting note and where you f- you're going to finish that technical lick. But knowing where you are, um, like maybe like where you land in the pentatonic, minor pentatonic scales, for example. So then you can go into this, you know, tasteful like afterwards and be a little bit expressional with that before then going into another technical aspect.
1: There's an amazing interview on YouTube that Paul Gilbert did with George Lynch, Mm. and he's trying to teach George Lynch music theory. And George Lynch doesn't want any part of it. And it's such a it's a it's a funny back and forth um, <laughs> between two legends about and one has a different approach than the other. And, you know, way is better than the other. It's just a different approach. You know, Paul is yeah. more technical. George is more feel. And I I, th- I would think that. Coming from your world of of being a, a, a very technical guitar player in, in music theory, that unlocking spontaneity can be dangerous it can be fearful but can also be very exciting too at the same time because you don't really know where you're going to go at at that point so you know you mentioned like the panic of like being out of the you know uh, out of what you thought the right chord progression was but that's also kind of exciting in a way too
0: definitely and that's kind of what i'm i'm realizing at the moment that i think i was kind of scared of doing it for so long and uh the um other guitarist in the band that i'm in uh called justin lyons he's incredible at spontaneity like he um sort of grew up like the gospel church so he'd always be playing you know and just playing what he feels in his heart and chatting to him he's been helping me out with kind of how to approach that stuff and kind of how to just feel it and not worry if you know something may slip out that doesn't sound good but that's okay that's all part of it like it's just you know allowing yourself like that grace of being able to Placing that doesn't sound good, but the next thing sounds amazing, you know, and not beating yourself up about that.
1: So the album, fantastic record, fantastic album. It's a collection Thank of you. great songs. You have, you have guest vocalists on all the tracks. And, yeah, I think when you start off with Nathan Lane, you know, who is an amazing singer on the yeah. first track of the album, it really sets the tone for everything that came after that. When you were going into this album and... Approaching the different vocalists that you wanted to have was was the vision you had is to have these vocalists on there in the sequence that you put out the record in. Did that all go into it?
0: It was like the the order of the songs and stuff kind of came afterwards once I'd heard what they'd uh, right. created, and then I kind of followed the story through. But like before writing, I had like a list of names that I kind of wanted on the album. Um, for a bunch of different styles. So this was, uh, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I was inspired by Slash's, uh, career and his first album, his self-titled album, where he had, um, different, uh, musicians from all kinds of different genres. Like he had Fergie on it and then he had Chris Cornell and he had Lemmy and M Shadows and Dave Grohl. Like it was, it, I thought that was really, really cool how he kind of got all of these different musicians, but had this, linear theme throwing, uh, flowing through it and you always knew it would slash throughout the whole album so i kind of wanted to do you know something like that my own little like odes, mm-hmm. odes ode to that um so i had a list of all the people and we wrote the songs without having the vocalists you know confirmed or anything we wrote all of the instrumental bits first so we basically kind of had these instrumental backing tracks that we went to the studio with and recorded well and then um we kind of sent them out to 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 the vocalists and surprisingly most of them said yes and that they, they really liked the song. So uh yeah it was incredible and it was really cool to have um so many different styles. Like everyone on the album is some is someone that I've absolutely loved either either growing up or I've loved working with or something like that. They all like hold a special place in my heart.
1: When you were selecting the vocalists, you know, you mentioned how much of a fan fan you were of of these of these singers. But how there's so many singers out there. How did you come to these vocalists that are on the album?
0: So I kind of had like my tops that I wanted. So I knew I wanted like Lizzie Hale. That was like my dream. And that was because she is my mum's favorite vocalist. So uh, like, you know, I just have so many like memories of my mum like would drive me to school and we'd be playing Hailstorm, like, you know, (laughs) and singing and stuff. So I kind of wanted that. I like her on there for like kind of like my mum in a way if you know what I mean just to like because I knew my mum would be listening to it working out and I just felt like that would be really sweet and um a lot of them were just you know very similar there were people like like Steel Panther I I had on my wall I always thought their image was really funny like I I don't know. I just thought they were like a really cool band. Same with Trivium. There's this really funny picture of me like recording my very first song like I ever wrote. And I was in like an iron on Trivium tea that I like ironed myself and I like <laughs> cut into the shape myself. So they've it's just been bands that I've I followed for so long. Like, you know, and I was, su- I was surprised by how many, <laughs> how many of them were actually up for doing something. I guess it was during the pandemic. So everyone was kind of looking for something to do, which was convenient for me.
1: As far as having the vision for the album, when did you start to want to do this? Like, when did this begin, you know, what, what was, where was the motivation and how did this begin, this creative process?
0: Um, It began around the beginning of, of the pandemic, I'd say, because, you know, we were sort of, I'd done like, I, I was just about to start kind of doing some live shows with my shred versions and stuff. I did one live show and then everything shut down. So I was like, oh, what do I, what, what am I going to do now? Because I was kind of in this, uh, Place where I wanted to overcome my, um, performance anxiety and my imposter syndrome because, um, you know, having had a relatively unconventional start to the music industry, I, I started online. So I'd always been kind of behind a screen where, you know, you can film something five times before you put it up online. You know, you have that little bit of control over what you're posting. So I felt, I've kind of felt like in my mind, I'd, set this kind of unobtainable bar that people would expect from me live if you know what i mean that i couldn't meet because you can't you know you can't record something five times when you're playing it live it's just what comes out so um and that sort of sparked uh, i guess a lot of anxiety and kind of fear in me so I was sort of on my journey to to start to try to overcome that. And that's why I had my first live show and stuff. So I was I was getting ready and then everything closed down. And I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> what am I going to do now? So that's when we decided to uh instead start writing this album that kind of told my story. And it was really healing for me because I got to chat to all of these people that had been, you know, heroes for me growing up. And all of them had like a really similar story of things that they went through. So um I think that was, yeah, it was just really beneficial. And, and it's funny because it started, I knew I had the name of the album Imposter Syndrome before I even started writing it. I knew that's what I wanted it to be about. And it's funny because I started the album at that point where I was so nervous to play live. I didn't know if I could. And then when we released it was when, you know, I was out playing stadiums and I was on, you know, world tours and stuff. So it really does kind of follow that path.
1: As far as you know the starting out you said online you know it's on social media mm-hmm. um I had a, a a very interesting conversation with Grace Bowers who mm-hmm. um who's 17 years old she's in Nashville and she started up very you know similar playing songs online and on Instagram and other things and she always knew that she wanted to get on stage at some point you know and she yeah. plays in Nashville like I think every night she's out playing on stage oh, somewhere cool. which is great. When you were doing this did was was that originally the end goal was to get on a stage or it that just came by by accident?
0: I think it was kind of by accident because like when where I grew up it was a very small town where there really wasn't a music scene at all. Like I was the only person who Really like even knew what rock music was. Like I wear a studded wore a studded bracelet to school once, and I got suspended because you know it was like that kind of thing where it just wasn't really a thing. So I didn't really have the opportunity to go to like a jam night or anything like that. So my only kind of way I could meet other musicians and stuff was online, which was why I set everything up. And you know, as uh, getting older, I moved to London and stuff, and like I think I always wanted to be on stage in a rock band but it kind of always just seems like this unobtainable dream because no one I knew was a musician you know I just it just felt like a a whole other world that I didn't know was possible for me I guess from this little town so when I started to you know meet people who actually did that and stuff as as I started to get older that's when it it was it did start to be like oh like that is something I would love to do that looks so cool But, you know, I always wanted to be I'm a perfectionist, so I would always want to go up there and and perform my best. So I guess that's where the anxieties came in from there. But, um, yeah, that's sort of always what I what I wanted to do. And I'm so grateful now that it is what I get to do. But I also love the online stuff as well. You know, I love all of it.
2: Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
1: You mentioned your dad being a rock and roll fan, your mom's favorite singer, Lizzie Hale how important was having parents that love the genre of music that you're in i mean obviously that may have been like why you are where you're at is because mm-hmm. of your parents and their in their love of music but how how important you know having parents that love the genre that support you in in playing in this genre how how important is that to you
0: uh i honestly think it's been one of my biggest drivers actually like i'm so so lucky to have parents that support me so much like with doing what i want to do and um so like my first album well my first like ep i guess uh, delusions which was like this kind of instrumental five song uh, ep that was originally written it wasn't even written to go out to the to the world but it was originally written as a christmas present for my parents that i wanted to record these songs and then uh you know, on Christmas, I would give them the CD and have this little like homemade T-shirt and stuff, you know, just so they could have something to listen to that was me. But then it kind of all just one of the songs went quite big on uh YouTube. Like I just posted a little teaser not to get views, but just sort of as a, you know, a little um kind of like a journal entry almost so I could like track my progress with the song and stuff. And then one just got really big, and my parents were like, "I know you're doing this like for us, but I think you should like actually do some music videos, and you should actually kind of put it out there a little bit." So they really encouraged that, and that you know kind of led to my YouTube channel growing and my my followers growing. And you know, I was very lucky; they supported me going to music school over uh, <laughs> over. um I got a scholarship to study uh, criminal science in <laughs> in Sussex, and a week before, I was like dad I don't think I want to do science anymore and luckily he supported me switching to music um so that was that was great and you know it's yeah it's been amazing it's been really really cool to have them just be my mum recently got a tattoo of my logo on her back her first ever tattoo at my album launch party I had a tattoo artist there and she just got my logo tattooed on her back and I think she likes it I don't know
1: (laughs) Well, she's got it, whether she likes exactly. it or not.
0: <laughs> At least it's on the back so she can't see it.
1: Right, right. That's yeah. always the great the best place to put a tattoo that you don't know if you're you're ready. Put it on your back so you never exactly. see it. Or the back of the neck. Like Yeah. Neck. yeah. yeah just hide
0: it back there. You can you grow your
1: hair out long enough where other people won't be able to see it too. <laughs> that's that's great. I, I I think you know, my son who's just turned nineteen, um, you know, he's played he plays guitar. He's been playing since oh, he was awesome. twelve. And I we remember just having the bond, or I do have the bond, not remembering with him with music and how we yeah. have always listened to music, taking him to his first concert and and um you know, putting him in lessons and having him l- learn to play and then upgrading you know to a better guitar and all that stuff. So, yeah, you know, I've always told him too, you know, I'm like, hey, because he's at he's at college right now, I said, you know, get your get your degree and you can go do whatever you want if you want to go yeah. pursue a dream after that go do it so
0: exactly and then's the time to do it when you know they're they're younger as well and it's just yeah it's amazing having that su- support there like i remember my parents used to whenever i had like a band practice or something they'd come and sit outside for like two hours in some random parking lot doing a crossword in the car you know my mom when i had guitar lessons she just sit outside in the car like it really does make a difference i think to uh someone having the confidence to like pursue that dream.
1: Yeah. And for a parent, you know, you've got your kid practicing his guitar for hours on end on Fridays and Saturday nights. I know where my son is, right? I know, I know where he is. He's practicing his guitar. He's not out doing whatever.
0: How is it from like a a parent's point of view? Is it like annoying when they're they're playing so much trying to learn a song? You're like, Oh my God, stop.
1: I, I remember him trying to learn the guitar solo for shock me by Kiss. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's an ace freely solo and it's a long solo and there's a part in the in the song where he keeps messing up and i hear him in his room swearing and getting frustrated with the you know with the with playing it but he finally got it and it was great as a parent because you know we always worry about this generation we always worry about you know the work ethic of of okay. the of the generation you know previous or after us rather i should say And I'm hearing him fail and do it again and fail and do it again. And I'm like, that kid's going to be all right. My son's going to be all right. Because he understands that, like, you just can't pick something up and just magically be able to play it. And him being able to put that that time into it and know that if he keeps trying, he's going to get it. And for me listening, you would hear it. You'd hear the progression from one part. And then he got that part and he screwed up the next part, but he kept and then slowly getting that part and getting that part. And it was like a, you know, it was like a, a week's process of him yeah. mastering That's it. Really it, was, cool. it was great to, to see that and hear that.
0: Yeah, that you can like see that the whole progression in it. And it's a good like kind of life lesson, I guess. You know, you're learning to kind of fail and get back up.
1: Yeah. And it's it's failing in such quick moments like you practice and you fail you got to do it again practice and you fail and then you start to yeah. get oh and then you think like you got it like i got it and then you fail at the end of it yeah. <laughs> over again. you know so it's it's a it's a great thing to see as a parent and we you know i'm not going to get on any soapbox or anything but you know when we're concerned about you know them being on their phones or being yeah. on social media or being on video games the guitar is a great an instrument any instrument is a great distraction to that
0: Definitely. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah. Nice to know that they're doing something that's so like productive.
1: And also being creative. I think, you know, having that those moments where you're being creative, where you're allowing yourself to have a vision is also very important. Instead of instead of having the vision put there for you, you know, like whether it's on social media or Video game, have your own vision, have your own imagination.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Sort of inspiring you to be creative in your own right and not just follow what's trending or what's, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or, I guess on social media. I'm sure probably the neighbors would disagree when you got like the window open yeah, <laughs> like yeah. 11 p.m. Usually,
1: <laughs> yeah, once it gets to like around 11 30 and he's still playing, it's kind of like, all right, okay, you've been playing <laughs> since like two in the afternoon. <laughs> We gotta, we have a break, you know? Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm good for tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When you think about where you've come from, you know, the university, um, learning guitar, having a social media presence to now touring arenas and, and, and playing live shows to releasing your album. Mm -hmm. What has been, Obviously, this whole thing is probably a big surprise in some way, right? I mean, the way it's all yeah. unfolded and developed. But what's been the biggest thing that you never expected from from just sit playing, you know, to a to a audience on social media?
0: I think definitely one of the the pinch me moments was when we played the Cleveland Brown Stadium, uh, which was to like sixty thousand people or something, on like my very first tour. Was like such a incredible moment to like just see. I remember when we first went into, we went into the stadium the day before and pretty much all of the band just like burst out crying. Like it was such like an emotional moment just to look around and see kind of what everything has led to from all of our different paths. It's all like led us there. And it was just such an awesome moment because there was this one particular moment from that show where, um, uh, Kel's got a bunch of, um, like uh young uh kids on stage to like come and like dance and like just, you know, rock out on stage. And uh this one girl uh, got on stage and usually they're all kind of dancing, you know, around around him, he's like the singer, he's the guy. But this one like girl got on stage and she just made a beeline to me. She ran right over to me, gave me her hat and was just like rocking out with me. And it was just such like this really, I don't know, this really kind of beautiful moment to me that like I kind of, it's so cool to see your like kind of inspiring, people like young people like that it's just I don't know it was just really really full circle and nice because you know I was that kid as well I was that kid that was so in love with bands and you know would draw them pictures to give to them you know would make little gifts would make bracelets for them and stuff and it's so amazing to like sort of be on the other side of that I guess because I I relate to them so much I was that kid you know at the barrier of every show screaming every word like that it still is me really (laughs) you know so I think that's think that was was really, really special that I'll always remember.
1: When you look out to a crowd like that and you're playing in front of a huge audience and and got these screaming fans and these shouting fans and everything and you think of your path, how, I mean, do you ever have a moment on stage where it like sets in or is it just too enormous of a thing to even a few years ago to even possibly imagine that you still haven't grasped it yet.
0: I think, I think I still haven't, I I feel like it still hasn't quite sunk in that. It's like kind of like a job, (laughs) if you know what I mean, that that's like what I get paid to do. I do have like this nice moment towards the end of the show where um, we play like a lot of a softer song and I don't play for the first, uh, like uh, the first part of the song. So I'm just sort of, I'll usually go and sit up by the, by the drummer and uh, everyone it's like the part of the show where everyone puts like their phones in the sky or like their lighters and I sort of I love that moment because I literally just get to sit there and watch the crowd if you know what I mean and see people having these making these like core memories for themselves and it's so beautiful like seeing people hugging their friends crying or like do you know what I mean like it's just and that's when it really sings in for me like the kind of power that music has on everyone it's just like I don't know it's such a, a beautiful moment and i'm so yeah grateful that i get to be a part of creating those moments for people but i still don't think it's like then but then i come home to my house in england and you know <laughs> it's it's really not like and i just in the bath with my two cats and i just chilling with my cats you know <laughs> it's it's funny to have like both sides of of uh of the coin i guess but um yeah it's very special i but i don't think it'll ever sink in really completely
1: well how is your performance anxiety
0: uh it's definitely so much better like i think the the process of um like i said writing the album just talking to you know some of my biggest inspirations and hearing that they feel the same things and like it's not just me i'm not alone and also just getting to kind of practice performing you know when i'm on tour and stuff um, is it's helped it so so much but now I'm kind of at the point where now I've released my own album and now it's time for me to go on tour with my own music, which it definitely, um, you know, I guess holds more um kind of, it's my own thing, you know, it's sort of, it, it holds more power, I guess, for me to be like the kind of actual front woman, you know, and I have to, you know, do the speaking to <laughs> to crowd and all of that stuff. And that's the thing that I'm definitely a little bit nervous about, but I've kind of Managed to shift my mindset where I'm more, I'm nervous, but I'm also really excited about making these, these stories. And if, you know, something goes wrong, it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's just like, a, that's what happens with live music. And that's the beauty of it. So I've definitely like just got into a lot better headspace about it all. So yeah, fingers crossed all goes well. And yeah, we're hoping to tour sort of. The UK, at least like smaller UK shows uh, around March or April time will be our first kind of live shows.
1: Now, March, April time. Is there any plans for the rest of the year? Is there any plans to come to the US?
0: So we're doing um, US with MGK. We've got like a big uh, a bunch of dates around summer. I'm thinking probably for my own stuff, I reckon the US will probably be next year instead because I think towards the end of this year we'll probably do UK and Europe and stuff. Because it's just difficult, like getting like visas for all of your band stuff. There's still so, there's so much that goes into it. Like that isn't just the tour, like that you need to to think about, especially when it's like a whole different country. So uh, we'll probably do uh, more UK Europe this year just to see to see what the live demand is for me as well. Because because I haven't really played live shows, I don't know whether the numbers on social media will transfer to live shows or not. So that's something that we kind of like the last thing I'd want to do is like, <laughs> you know, play, be playing like a 5,000 cap and like 10 people show up. So we've sort of got to test the waters to see what's actually a, a good number, a good venue size and stuff. And then once we have a really kind of um idea of what we want the live show to be as well, because obviously I'm an instrumentalist. Do we get a vocalist in? Do we rely on more backing tracks? Do we have like a, screen with the vocalist performing you know to a green screen or something that we play a pre-recorded video like we've got a lot of things that we want to try out first and then once we've we know what we're doing which hopefully we will by the end of the year then we're we'll you know think about hitting the us next year for like a proper first headline tour or a support or a support tour actually would be really cool with with another band i'd definitely be up for that if that came around
1: you mentioned the singing in 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 the vocalist you know earlier in and how incredible was it for you you mentioned you laid down the instrumental track for the for the singer and then when the singer sent stuff back like the song probably took on a life of its own more so than you could ever imagine was was that how was that in terms of the process like being blown away by what people are sending to your music
0: yeah it was it was really cool especially when it was like a uh, artist that i'd followed for so long as well, like hearing their particular voice, like on, on my songs, it felt so surreal. I was like, <laughs> the first one I got back was Tyler Connolly, who's uh, from a band called Theory and a Dead Man, Theory of a Dead Man. And I, uh, uh, was just like, he has such a unique voice. So hearing his take on like, and what he did there it was like, I could never have, I could never have written like a melody or lyrics like that. Like, it really just gave the song like a life of its own, gave it this new meaning. And it was cool because they took what I told them, like when I, t- send the song over i'd tell them a little bit about what the album was about what i kind of wanted that song to be about like i give them a little description and they could use it or they don't have to like i kept it pretty free for them and um most of the time like they did and it was just really cool just seeing it like actually come to life and suddenly it's this actual song (laughs) i don't know it's weird
1: yeah i mentioned the nathan lane song and I meant, I love the Lizzie Hale. I love the Blackstone Sherry song. Thank you. Thank um, all that stuff is absolutely phenomenal. Everything is great on it. I mean, for those listening, it is, it's a wonderful album. It's a wonderful artistic, creative journey for Sophie. And it's just, it's, it's one of those albums that you get done listening to it and you got to listen to it again. So
0: oh, thank you it's, so much. It's,
1: it's really, really good. Now that this has been out and you've been able to kind of like sit with it. I mean, maybe you've been sitting with it for a while, but now that it's out and now you're having your fans listen, how, how is that for you? How's that moment for you? Is that all this thing that you've been creating is out for people to listen? It's no longer just in your head.
0: Yeah. It's, it's weird because we've had the album, like the album was done for like probably about a year or so before we actually released it. But then everything, you know, with MGK came up, a lot of stuff came up and like, you have to, when you're doing a collab with so many different people, it's so many different labels, you have to try and coordinate a release date with like, it becomes a bit of a nightmare. So just to have it out was like the album party, I think was one of like the best moments of my life. Like <laughs> all the pictures, I looked so deliriously happy. Like my smile is so ugly because I was just deliriously happy that it was out. Um, And just to have people's like feedback on it to hear like, people's favorite songs like to hear you know like uh if anyone's like singing it or something on their instagram stories people will like post a video and it just it really just does just kind of i don't know it's it's such an incredible feeling but also there is kind of that feeling of like okay what's next you know like i feel like i'm never a hundred percent satisfied because i'm like okay it's out but now i need to you know start doing something else i need to have a new project so it's lovely and i made sure i had a couple weeks off to just like enjoy it and feel it. But now I'm like, right onto the next thing. What are we going to (laughs) do?
1: Are you all, I mean, I imagine every artist is always thinking like, what's next. Do you have ideas of what direction you want to go to for a next, another project?
0: Yeah. Like I've, I, what I think I'd like to do is probably do more singles rather than albums at least for the, for the time being. Um, And I'd like to work with uh vocalists or other musicians actually in the studio, because with this album, as I said, it was done during the pandemic, so it was all done like over Zoom or online, sending things back and forth. So I'd like to actually be in the studio with people working on things and also working with people from different genres that you might not usually expect a kind of traditional rock guitarist to work with, like maybe like some rappers or like some gospel singers, I think would be really cool. And like creating bringing like some genres together and seeing just seeing what happens and maybe it sounds great maybe it doesn't but um that's what i'd like to do just get a little bit more experimental with some things and just have have some fun thinking outside of the box
1: who's your dream to collaborate with
0: oh that's a really good question i'd say probably i don't know maybe beyonce (laughs) would be really cool She's such a queen, so (laughs) let's dream big. Let's dream big and say, uh, yeah, queen (laughs) bee.
1: That's a great answer. Well, Sophie, I appreciate the time and I appreciate, you know, the conversation with you. It's been a great time having you for your first time on The Hook Rocks. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun.
1: Absolutely. All of Sophie's information will be in the show notes. So once you listen, scroll down and you'll have the links to... Um, where you need to find all her social media and her website and where you can order the album. It's a fantastic album and I highly recommend it. Uh, once again I'm Jay Scott. This has been another episode of The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock music podcast. Stay safe, take care of each other and we will talk soon. Thank you.